Welcome to Journey to the Stage, and thanks for tuning in today. This podcast really is for music lovers. Not only do you get to hear from musicians and artists that you might know, but you can discover new artists that you don't know and and hear some great music. The truth is, there is so much incredible music out there, um, but with Radio Dying, finding new music that resonates with you, I know can be quite a challenge. That's why I love to have artists on like my guest today. Before we jump into our chat, please consider leaving a kind review or giving a rating, sharing this with your friends. As an indie podcaster with no marketing department, you doing those things goes a long way. And thank you for everybody who's done so, so far in helping Journey to the Stage to reach the level it's reached. I'm very, very much appreciative. So my guest today is a very talented singer and songwriter whose band has toured with bands like The Wallflowers and Jayhawks, Frank Turner, the old 97s. Uh, somebody I've gotten to see twice, and we'll talk more about that here in a little bit. He's the youngest co-writer on a song with Bob Dylan, and what in the world? Can't wait to hear about that, and much, much more to talk about. So it's my pleasure to welcome Wisconsin's own Trapper Shep. Trapper, thanks for joining me, man. And it's my pleasure to be here. And your introduction (laughs) sounded like so on the money. It almost sounded like one of those ads that pops up on a podcast or something. I was like, what am I listening to a pre-recorded intro? You have a voice (laughs) for not voice for radio voice for podcasting. Really funny. You say that. So the, when I saw you guys, and we'll talk more about when I've seen you guys live, but when you were playing with the Jayhawks and Solano beach, this is kind of funny. I wanted to introduce the Jayhawks. You know, they're one of my favorite bands. And so I got there really early. I saw Gary, he was walking to get something neat. So I was, I was just walking with him like, Hey, I would love to introduce you guys. And he looked at me, he's like, you know, it's kind of an odd request. I know he's like <laughs> probably trying to figure me out. Like, uh, well, he's like, well, you do have a good radio voice. I said, yeah, it just would be kind of cool. You know, just think about Gary it. Gary like, said well, that yeah. too. It's not just me. He did. Yeah. Which was, which was really cool. So funny thing is, of course, you, you probably wouldn't remember this, but I was there with my brother. I got there early, got seat, uh, you know, not seat. It was a standing only venue standing right against the stage. I love to be right in the front and you guys come out. It's dark. No one introduced you. And I'm like, what the heck? So you were literally like two or three feet away from me. I'm like, what? No one's going to introduce you. And you said, I know. Right. And then you said you reached out your hand. You said, you want to do it? And I was like, what? And so you pulled me up on stage and I'm like, please welcome, you know, from, I think I actually said from Minneapolis, from Minnesota. That's fair. I mean, I was born in Red Wing, Minnesota. So yeah, I, I like, I'm down with that. Yeah. And I'm like, Trapper Shep, and everyone goes crazy. And I jump off the stage and watch the rest of the show. And I, it's so funny because I looked at my brother and I'm like, dude, did you snap a picture? What? I think we need oh. to bring you all over the country, maybe just to <laughs> dude, do the intros go. Or maybe we could just do like a pre-recorded thing like Bob Dylan does over like oh. the, he does the um, like classical music and then someone says, 
uh, written off as a has-been by the end of the 80s, disappeared into a haze of substance abuse over like classical music. Then they play it and Bob comes out. But yeah, band intros are kind of cool when they work. Yeah, I just thought it was kind of a a ripoff for you guys just to walk out there without nobody announcing you. So Thank you. I'm glad we can reconnect again. Well, that was really cool because I think it was your tour manager after gave me um, a CD and it was, there's a tour poster and it's, it's still in my, it's right above where you walk into my house from, from my garage, from inside. Nice. I don't even have one of those. Yeah. Well, I think I know where I can get you one if you're, (laughs) so we talked last week, you know, just kind of gearing up for our time together. You had been called to jury duty. So did you did you get the call? <laughs> oh Did you get the boot? What what happened? Oh my God. Yeah. So the Milwaukee County Courthouse is, is really beautiful old uh, structure. And nice. I wandered all around it for an hour before actually being put into the little room, waited four hours, went to lunch and uh, came back, waited two more hours oh boy. and I got brought into the courtroom at last and the judge goes around and asks uh, everybody a few questions, occupation, uh, marital status, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, everyone in the room uses that as an opportunity to say how they have a conflict with the case because their brother is a substance abuse counselor or their sister's a, a cop or this or that and the other and, you yeah. know, I just say, oh, and I'm a musician. And then the guy says, what kind of music? And I said, folk music. And I didn't get picked to be on the, the jury. And I was kind wow. of kind of bummed because I'd come so far only to be let go, you know. Well, and you, you and knew so the best like, all the time. It was me and a, a pastor walking out of jury duty. And we didn't get picked. And I was thinking... What did, where did, where did it all go wrong with us? You know, (laughs) a pastor and a folk musician can't get on jury duty. I would have thought we were the voice of the people. Um, Yeah, it was so funny. Like everyone tried to get out of it and I just played it totally straight and I was one that got let go. So, but I would have loved to do it. And I think it, it really is a good experience for people to have. Well, at least now you have a setup for a good joke. A folk singer and a pastor walk into a bar. <laughs> I'll have to work on the punchline, but Yeah, I don't know what that would be, but I'm sure I'm sure it would be great. So when this episode releases, your your new album will be out. We're gonna spend some time talking about that siren songs. So and it's absolutely awesome. I can't wait to dig into that. We're gonna be playing a couple of cuts from that as we walk through our chat today. But what I want to do before then is just kind of do a, a flyover of your pathway up to this point. Um, you really started making music really young. What what was it for you that kind of put that that fire in your belly, so to speak, to want to pursue music on a professional level? Well, I think when you're a kid, you do everything to the extremes, especially in my case. I was, uh, you know, really into basketball and you know got the Kobe Bryant jersey and Tanner got nice. my brother Tanner got the you know the Carl Malone and then we'd face off in our basement and then it was BMX biking and we built a half pipe in the backyard and uh and then I ended up herniating a disc in my back 
among other really traumatic injuries, which is for a whole nother podcast. But I went to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester and the surgeon said something along the lines of, you know, I hate to break it to you, Trap, but you're going to have to have surgery. And on the way home, my mother, uh, bless her, love you, mom, uh, got me a Martin Orchestra model guitar as sort of a, you kind of messed your life up a bit there try this instead. So I got into music, I guess, to the extremes as I did with other activities and pursuits. When you're a kid, you get obsessed with things and fell in love with folk music. Started going to shows at this little place called the Blue Moon in Red Wing, Minnesota, watching slide guitar players, folk singers, Celtic bands, cover bands, everything in between and just absorbed as much of that as I could ended up making a little album called a change in the weather, which I occasionally hear about people selling for absurd amounts of money on eBay or Amazon. And let me just tell you, I got plenty of these in my basement. So if you need (laughs) to scrounge through my amateur high school recordings i can i can provide that for you you don't have to go through the the big corporations to get it but yeah and then i heard bob dylan that of course was a major shock to my system especially because he grew up not far from where i did and i thought that was really interesting that this guy who's lived such a remarkable life had such a remarkable career had grown up just a few hours from me. I had the killer pleasure of seeing Bob Dylan and Paul Simon tour together, which are two of my musical heroes. And uh, oh wow, it was quite a show. Quite a show. Really, really loved it. I don't know if I could handle that. Yeah, it was so much pure, beautiful music. Yeah, it was. It was quite an quite an evening. That's funny that you're a Kobe Bryant fan. I grew up in L.A., a huge Laker fan, and I got to meet Kobe once and well until security chased me away <laughs> when you're a kid but, you're a fan of every basketball player let's be real yeah I mean right, right right I was into it all and I I still dabble I'm a big Milwaukee Bucks fan obviously nice. being here in Milwaukee and I think they have such a special team and you know it's small market underdog flyover country and we uh ended up winning it all so go figure and I feel like it's a really cool story to the team when i was really into basketball they they weren't really a team to reckon with but so Mm -hmm. that's why i love when you see another franchise come up and say hey we're here too now your brother tanner is he pretty much always been with you musically is that something that he pursued with you kind of right from the get-go yes he's the editor-in-chief for sure and uh co-pilot bassist beautiful voice and I think a huge asset to my awesome. my whole being. Yeah, Tanner, shout out to him. Do you remember the first stage that you played on? Well, I did perform at a open mic. Tanner drove me, supported me in Red Wing, Minnesota at some sketchy bar. And I probably played a Bob Dylan cover and a Dave Matthews band cover or something of that nature. And then maybe one of my own. And then uh, we played all these places 
little coffee houses along the Mississippi River Valley. In Red Wing, the Blue Moon, like I mentioned, this place called the Oak Center General Store, which is old-timey organic farm. And they also have a uh, stage upstairs above the general store. And I always thought if I played the Oak Center General Store, I was that was it for me. I mean, I thought that was my grand old Opry. Wow. That was my town hall, <laughs> Carnegie yeah. Hall. And it's funny how your perspective shifts. But I think after going through the pandemic, I have really started over a bit in terms of where my gratitude is at. And I'm just always happy to perform these days. And I think I had to do some recalibrating in my mind. And it was actually quite nice to have a couple of years away from the grind of music. Of course, there were a lot of lows as there were for everyone, but I think overall it it helped reboot some things with me. Well, it almost makes sense. And I know a lot of bands and artists that have had to go through the same thing because the, the landscape has changed so much. Even, you know, venues that were once reliable, you know, you can play there every, every leg of a tour, every, you know, stretch you wanted to play. And a lot of those places are gone now. So that recalibration, I think, has taken place throughout the music world, so to speak. So I think it's every world, though, too. You know, to be fair, I think a lot of people's careers have shifted and a lot has been said about how it affected the music industry, of course. But I think that can be said for so many industries that aren't getting Rolling Stone, Billboard, New York Times pieces about it. No, I think you're absolutely right. So those early days, what bands and artists were you really into? I obviously mentioned Dylan, but what other songwriters, what other artists really kind of captured your ear? Okay, well, I'll start with a few that folks probably don't know. A singer from Rochester, Minnesota named Cam Waters was a very accomplished steel guitar player and folk singer, R.I.P. There's a really cool band up there, kind of Irish folky in Minneapolis called Boiled and Lead. They were really cool to to go see shows. Mm -hmm. Uh, But bigger artists... A bit of the standard Americana singer-songwriter fair. Wilco, Bruce Springsteen. You remember going into Borders to get CDs and stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so my mom had gotten me like a $25 gift card for my birthday. And I think I got the Wilco, a Ghost is Born CD, maybe a Dylan CD, and then I had like seven bucks left over. And I saw CDs that, that said... Closing time. I love that song. And I picked that up and went home with it. And it was Tom Waits' Closing Time, not Semisonic. Oh, interesting. That was a blow to the system. But then I picked up that Tom Waits CD maybe a year later and got really into that. But my dad always had kind of cool music playing, like Tom Petty or Fleetwood Mac or... Harry Chapin, that was really kind of fun stuff to listen to, not like bad stuff that you hate your parents playing. Early on, a lot of artists play covers and stuff like that because it helps you, helps keep an audience. Because an audience for an unknown artist, you know, it's it's going to be a challenge to play some originals. But at what point did you start making that transition from you know, maybe playing other people's stuff to mixing your own tunes and kind of continuing on that spectrum over to 
you know, stuff that you were writing? I think pretty early on, you kind of try to write your own stuff. I was a kid of the 80s and everybody was in a band back then and everybody was doing covers. And my thought was, man, you're, you're never going to sound as good as the original. We're a bunch of high schoolers. Yeah, Led Zeppelin cover, like Ray Charles or like Beatles covers. It's always like the things you should never be covering that you end up, you know, taking a stab at. But you try. <laughs> yeah, and that's fine. That's all a part of the the musical growth and development. But I think that's why there's so much wisdom in making your own stuff because you, you can't be compared to the original because you are the original. So I think it's mm-hmm. really cool. But also it's gutsy. You know, there's a little bit of a risk there because if people aren't into it, then, you know, you're not going to have anybody sitting there listening to you. So that's really cool, though, that you were early on able to, uh, you know, kind of work into your own music and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, with me too. think about I was going from jumping around on half pipes on a big BMX bike. So writing my own songs, the fear of that is really not even, you know, comparable to riding around a BMX bike and flying through the sky. So I think when you're young, you do have less fear. Throw caution to the wind, as they Mm -hmm. say. (laughs) Yeah, cool. This is a great place to drop in a song. As we were chatting, we talked about um, playing the Cliffs of Dover. This is the first song on the album. And man, it just grabs you from the beginning. Give us a little bit of background to this song before we give it a spin. Yeah, I think uh, I was watching the news like crazy in the last few years. Who wasn't? And then when we brought home a bunch of troops from the Middle East, it seemed like a few months went by. And then we were shipping weapons to Ukraine and teetering on World War Three. And I have so many frustrations with America, but a big one is how... We've treated uh, the men and women that come home from wars. I heard somebody say once that you judge a nation based on how it treats its returning soldiers, and uh, which goes to really what, what you're saying. Sometimes we don't do that very well. And mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear that that has worked its way into the song. So let's give this a roll. This is Cliffs of Dover by Trapper Shep on his brand new album, Siren Songs.
what's left in the stable and your best ideas lay dead on the table we lost him to their dirty little war turn off the television wonder what 20 years before Trapper, this this is really a killer song. I mean, you can't listen to this song and be still. It just it moves from the very very beginning. Tell us a little bit about how you got to record where you recorded. Is it's a very storied place. Share with us a little mm-hmm. bit about that. Well, shout out right away to our mutual buddy John Jackson, who yeah, John's uh, the best. is not only a fantastic musician with bands such as the Jayhawks and uh, a producer, but worked for Sony Legacy for years. And I Mm -hmm. do believe helped get Loretta Lynn all set up at the Cash Cabin, Johnny Cash's historic Cash Cabin. Started out as a bit of a hunting shack for him and his buddies. And then in his later years, he began recording there some of that, the albums he did with Rick Rubin were recorded there so he did like hurt uh there on those grounds the man comes around all those wow but so we recorded there and it was an absolute thrill to say the least but recording clips of dover we'd oftentimes get together in the main live room of the cash cabin Mm -hmm. and i would just play uh the musicians a song and we wanted to record the album mostly live, or see how Beautiful. much we could get live. And uh, we'd finished tracking for the day, and P- 
Pat and John kind of said, oh, let's like, show us what you might work on tomorrow. And so I got in the live room and I played them Cliffs of Dover and musicians being musicians. Let's try it. Let's, let's just like dive into it for a second, <laughs> right? And what you hear on the record, I think, is the third or fourth take. And yeah, and I think a lot of the vocal that was done is live, the guitars, drums, bass. We overdubbed a few things, but what you hear is uh, Pat Sansone playing the uh, acoustic guitar and then John Jackson on the mandolin. Yeah. And we were really just figuring out the song. There really is something to recording live uh, where you kind of play for your life. No click track. The drummer should be a human click track. He's a good one. Yep. And uh, yeah, I'm really proud of that song because we were able to get it so quick. And oftentimes the best material comes quick. I agree. And sometimes you can produce something to death and to catch it raw, live, organically. I've done it. Yeah. Every artist, every artist, because we're susceptible. We we want things to be perfect. It's our, our heart is there. But you tweak something and tweak something, and pretty soon you've got Frankenstein as opposed to some beautiful piece of work. And I, it's an easy thing to fall into. Did you do all of the writing on your own? So did you come to the Cash Cabin with, you know, all of these songs? And yeah, so we had fourteen songs in seven days, and which was wow. a bit of a task. But we thought, well, let's let's try, you know. But yeah, I went down there with a. Uh, notebook full of songs and had sent had sent them around before but you know truthfully things really changed quite a bit once everyone got playing but it was really a wild experience I don't know a better way to put it recording in Johnny's old stomping grounds Pat was playing June's piano I was playing Johnny's 1930s shit kicker guitar Quinn our guitarist played like Luther Perkins's tally. It was wild. I'd sit back and listen to mixes and Johnny's old rocking chair that he carved JRC into with a knife. Wow. I mean, what's more Americana than that? You know, people throw around that term a lot, but it was really a cool experience. I can only imagine. So is that cabin, is it still, you know, fairly remote or is it built up around, you know, these days? What's it like out there? Yeah, I mean, it's in uh, Hendersonville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. so it, it's pretty rural. But what's really funny is that every single day there, we called it keeping up with the caches, like keeping up with the Kardashians, <laughs> like something funny always <laughs> happened. One day I heard these helicopters buzzing right above the cabin, like you could feel the vibrations of it. And I thought, well, first thought was, okay, we can't record right now, what's happening? And then the engineer said, oh, you know, they're probably just passing by. Turns out there was an intruder on the property, some guy mm-hmm. who was trying to, no pun intended, cash fake checks, him and his buddies, uh, jumped out of a car because they were being chased, ran onto the cash property, and all of a sudden we have ATVs, we have artillery, we have helicopters. They picked the wrong land to hide on. 
I made everyone that was in my party get into the cabin, locked all the doors. And uh, what's wild is we ended up recording a whole song. Seven Mile Fair is the name of that song. Oh, yeah. And the uh, the line in it, and the band plays on, I thought was so <laughs> uh, fitting at that moment. Yeah, that that was in terms of recording stories. That was unique <laughs> for sure. That is a unique one. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So producer-wise, you talked about how you've got John Jackson there, of course, as you mentioned from the Jayhawks. And well, and he produced for the Jayhawks as well, not only mm-hmm. toured with them and stuff, but but also having Pat Sanson on there from Wilco, another one of my favorite bands. I would imagine you got to know John from when you guys were touring with them. Is that right? With When you were touring with the Jayhawks well, or did you know the, him before? The, this is actually funny and I've pieced this together in the last year. I reminded John of this, but I met John because I started playing at these open jam sessions that Craig Jarrett Johnson of Golden Smog had in oh, New yeah. York. Yeah, yeah. So John would always show up to these. And then we were doing a gig at the Hazleton uh, Rehab Center in Minneapolis. And a couple of my bandmates couldn't do it. And I was panicked. And I thought, well, who's a guy that can really just kind of pick up and play on anything? Um, We joke, a jobber, you know, we call that. (laughs) But it was, I called John Jackson, flew him in from New York, and he ended up filling in with us and then filling in with the Jayhawks after us. And I don't, I don't know. John will have to tell me if that was the first time he did a show with them or not. I, I can't remember. But he, if I remember correctly, when he was on my podcast, again, my very first guest, he went with a buddy to go see Gary performing a solo show somewhere and really asked if if he and his buddy could open for Gary before Gary oh, nice. set. Cool. And, and they started talking and he said, Oh, well maybe you can sit him. Do you know any of my songs? And John said, yeah, I do actually. <laughs> and Gary said, well, which ones? And it's kind of funny because John looked at him and said, all of oh, them. Yeah. Oh my God. So he ended up sitting in with Gary that night and that's kind of, really obviously opened up a whole other world um, for him and them. And uh, pretty cool well, story. what, what makes Jackhammer a huge asset is that not only is he a musical encyclopedia with a mandolin or a violin or an acoustic mm-hmm. guitar in his hands, he's an encyclopedia on the, the business and the archival and the, like he, he can wear both hats, which yeah. I've, I have never met someone in the music industry that kind of can flex all those Mm -hmm. different muscles simultaneously. I mean, truly, he's like the sweetest and smartest guy. And, you know, I don't know if he'll hear this, but love you, John. You've been so supportive and, and kind to me and my brother throughout the years. You know, what's funny. Here's a, here's a really quick John Jackson story that speaks to his character. John has been guesting in our shows in New York city since God, 2014, he'd just show up, never would ask for anything. He'd just always show up and play and be a good time. But one day we did a gig at like Webster hall or somewhere opening for someone. And the next day he said, Oh, pop by my office and say bye on your way out. So 
we pop by the Sony office building and he walks out with a bag full of Chris Christopherson box sets, oh, Beatles, wow. Elvis, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then a Hofner bass guitar, which is actually what? sitting right next to me and just gives it to Tanner. No case, which I thought was like the funniest thing ever. He's like, here you go. And uh, yeah, he is just uh, really a sweet guy. So glad you know him and have had him on the show. Well, I mean, he, I would say he's been very kind and generous to me as well. You know, when I had the idea of starting a podcast, I reached out to him. He didn't know me. He said, hey, I'm starting this thing. You know, I'd, I'd love to have you on, talk about Jayhawks and stuff like that. And he said, sure, why not? And he, you know, I was green. I was really trying to figure out even what, how this whole thing works. And he was so complimentary and encouraging. Like I listened back to that, to that very first episode and it still makes me kind of tear up. I'm like, he was, he took the time to really encourage me at the end. And, um, I just thought it wasn't necessary, but it was, I think I needed it more than I realized I needed it. You know what I mean? Well, Cause that's I was, great. you know, you're doing something that's new and you don't know if you're even halfway good at it. And he was just very, very kind. And that's really cool that you get to, to work with him and, and Pat too, you've got, guys from two bands that are really seminal in that Americana space. So it's super, super cool. I love the album cover. And I know that, and just doing a little bit of reading that that's taken place, that picture is taken in a pretty cool body of water. Um, and there's a story behind that. Share that because I think it's actually super cool. Well, the story is that we came down to the cabin and the first person I met was Joseph Cash. Wow. He unfolds this harmonium organ for us, which is a old, you know, they use it on the battlefield, like a pump organ. So they can oh, okay. Church yeah. services. Right. And so it's on a lot of kind of Irish folk music as well. Mm-hmm. But him and I just kind of hit it off. And he ended up having a camera around for the whole sessions and engineered it, took black and white photography the whole time. And so we have so so many cool photos that we used in the album art and we'll share as well. We're down there and I was kind of thinking, well, what do we do for an album cover? And then Joseph one day said, come with me, come with me. I got this idea. And because I told him the album name was Siren Songs, so it'd be cool Mm -hmm. to involve body of water and he uh goes out in a canoe and has me sit kind of in the shore line my feet kind of in the water with a a Mm -hmm. stool and you can just see the reflection just right and he had to set it up just so i mean with film it's the same with um he used old black and white film can't be too bright you know the sun has to be just in the right spot And to get that reflection, he had to go out in a canoe to get that shot. I was told that that body of water, kind of Johnny would go read letters from people like Bob Dylan. And, you know, to protect their correspondence, he would read the letter, stash that uh, in his brain and uh, crumple up the letter, throw it in. Wow. Go to the fishes. But yeah, I thought that was really kind of crazy. That is really interesting. So he would stand out there, maybe on the shore, read that letter. And because he wouldn't want others, you know, for archival purposes or whatever, he wanted to to protect that. He would read it, 
maybe rip it up and throw it in the water, huh? That's so fascinating. That's what I was told. Yeah. I mean, that was, I mean, just one of the crazy stories I was told, you know, not all of them are, are set to public, but uh, that was really affecting. That was one of the first things I heard when I got there. Because they have a mantle there as well. That's really cool that everyone signs. And it was so funny. I, I didn't I didn't want to sign the mantle. I really didn't. Because it was everyone from like Dolly Parton to Snoop Dogg on the mantle. People that had been wow. through. I'm like, I'm not mantle worthy. Not sponge worthy. <laughs> um, but yeah, in the end, I uh, actually signed like underneath the mantle on the bottom of it. That's super cool. Boy, if, if those walls could speak, huh? I bet they'd oh have God, some stories. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's listen to another song. We're going to listen to The Fool, another really great song. What can you tell us about that? Then we'll we'll give it a spin. Oh, I'm glad you like that one. Uh, I that love was, it. That I, was actually the first song I wrote for the album. Oh, really? And uh, that descending... Guitar line, truthfully, was just me figuring out the shapes on an open-tuned acoustic guitar. Okay, Uh, yeah. So I was just figuring out the shapes and going up and down the neck. And then the song is a bit of a conversation between the, but like a conversation between the the narrator and himself about not taking love for granted and, and, uh, you know, opening himself up to it. Very, very cool. Let's listen. This is the full from Siren Songs by Trapper Shep. You are, I was, I was, I was. 
Man, this song is insanely catchy. Very, very catchy. It's got that hook is is just so well done. One of the things that has really struck me about this album, and if I haven't said it, I truly think that this is your best work to date. And I've listened to all of your albums, at least those that are available publicly. I don't know if I have the one that's down in your basement. <laughs> well, if you're going to have me on your podcast, you ha- you have to say that anyway, right? I don't think I've actually even said that to any artist I've had on. Oh, thanks, man. Well, you know, I think it's it's because we went in there and we just bashed it out. I mean, the songs, I think it was like Bob Dylan who said something like, you know, if you have a really good song, the production doesn't matter as much. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I think, I think you, you know, it does because you can really overcook things. And we didn't yeah, overcook sure. anything on this. Because we didn't have the time to. We didn't have the money to. We had to just go in and knock it out. 14 songs in seven days, gangbusters, you know? Working in the confinements of a certain time and place can can yeah. really shape a record. You know? Absolutely. Well, absolutely. And sometimes having too much time, oh there's a danger God, in that too. That'll kill you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that's the advantage of having... Two, well, one, you're an experienced, you've done enough recording on your own, um, so you're not green. But to have guys like John and Pat in there with you who know music as well and bring a lot to the table, I'm sure that really helped to keep things moving. Now, I would think with having two producers in the room, if that doesn't work, that that could really be disastrous because you've got two guys that could potentially be pulling in different directions, but they, they knew each other. Luckily we're all friends. We're all friends. So, I mean, that helps John and Pat were sort of a dream team. It it was really, really nice and fun. Uh, You know, making records can be stressful, but this record was so much fun to make. There was never really a, never really a struggle anywhere with it. Well, one of the many things I love about Siren songs is the variety. I mean, if you look at songs like Eliza, it's like an it's like an old ballad, you know, this lost love. And then you've got Devil's Kettle, where it's got this real bluesy kind of swanky feeling to it. And, you know, the, the I think it's the closing song in return, very piano driven. And so this is just me being perfectly honest. Your vocal delivery on that song is off the charts beautiful. I don't know what it is. There's there's a there's a strength in your in the way you place that in your in your voice, but there's also vulnerability mm-hmm. and, uh, and intimacy that comes out in that, which I think is very very special. And I'm not gonna lie, man. I the love reason it. it sounds good is because I was I was standing about ten feet from Pat playing June's piano, and we were just looking at each other, and it was very in the moment. You know, there's no explanation other than that. We were, we were feeling it. So this is what I think I really want to stress to people who are maybe unfamiliar with your music, that sometimes, especially in with streaming and everything, we'll find a song we we like, and we'll stream it, and we'll play it, and we'll put it away, and move on to something else. I really want to encourage people to to spend time with this album 
is a wonderful collection of songs and play it top to bottom. And because it's a very cohesive album and it's very well done, beautifully written. I, I don't rate albums often, but this is a five star album, five out of five stars for me. I, I really loved it and I've only listened to it through two and a half times and I'm I'm waiting to finish my third time through. So I hope people really experience it as an album, as opposed to a song here or a song there, because each song has its own feel, tells its own story, and it it does create a wonderfully cohesive uh, listening experience. So I hope people kind of spend some time with it. I think we live in the age of short attention spans. We all Mm -hmm. are, uh, you know, a victim of the the digital age. But there is something about diving into a whole album and having having a listen. As I mentioned, you know, I've been a huge fan of the Jayhawks for so long. And when I got to see you, when you were touring on Run, Engine, Run, that was, I think it was 2015, if I remember correctly. And I saw the band, both bands, you guys in the Jayhawks, of course, at the Fillmore in San Francisco. Oh, that was a wild show. I jumped off yes. the drum set at the end and really, like... I remember. Jumped. Jumped high. <laughs> yes, you did. I felt that the next day, no doubt. I, but I was at the well, Fillmore, so I was, like, was amped up, you know. <laughs> well, I remember. I had to pay my respects. Yes, well, that's such a historic place. And that was my first time seeing you. And then a couple of days later, you guys uh, were down in Solano Beach, just above San Diego. And when I talked with you that night, you're like, so you, and I told you I was at the Fillmore show. And you're like, so you saw my jump. I'm like, yeah, you're like, yeah, I'm still feeling that. <laughs> <laughs> I could have went so poorly. You've you've got some energy on stage, man. It was that was. I'm not jumping anymore, though. I hung that up. Well, with a herniated disc repair, yeah, that's probably. Well, I know you're getting ready to head to Europe. Is this uh, thing where you're doing on your own acoustic? Are you taking the full band? Like, what's going on with that? Yeah, so I'm 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 going over there first with Jesse Malin, and uh, so that will be just me and uh, mandolin player Carter. And then uh, we'll probably go back to Europe in, you know, at some point Very with cool. the full band. Uh, we are signed with a Swedish record label called Rootsy, and then in America with a uh, label called Grand Phony. So we have a bit of a good setup there. So one thing, just going back to when you guys toured with the Jayhawks, and you guys got to come out every night at the end of their set and sing with them on until you came along. Yeah. Yeah. That is such a beautiful song. God. Yeah. I told John, that's like the perfect song to send an audience out into the crowd. And you know, it's, yeah, that is a beautiful tune. It's a, it's a a great one. Golden smog tune. And there's actually a really funny video online of Halloween night in Ohio. We ended the tour with the Jayhawks (laughs) And I had on a weird outfit. Gary had on a weird outfit. <laughs> we like tore each other's shirts off on stage. Nice. Um, I had like a weird mustache. and But yeah, we've had some fun times with them. They're just a great band. I'm going to listen to Jayhawks when we're done here. I'm a regular listener. And, and I love the fact that you guys got to be on the live recording because that Belly Up show was recorded and released. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that is cool kind of as we get close to wrapping things up I, one of the things i read as i was preparing is that you're 
the youngest artist to share a co-writing title with Bob Dylan. I mean, what the heck? You got to tell us the story because that is pretty darn awesome. Yeah, so when Bob Dylan was 20 years old, he uh, wrote a song about Wisconsin. The morning he uh, began work on his first studio album with John Hammond in New York. And he brought it into the studio, I would presume. And it didn't make the cut on his first Mm -hmm. album. And then it ended up in the closet of his roommate at the time in New York City. And in 2017, that roommate put up the two sheets of lyrics about Wisconsin up for auction, $30,000. You know, I didn't have that kind of dough to spend on two sheets of paper. Uh, But I thought, how about I finish the song instead? I'm from Wisconsin, folk singer, Dylan fan. So I finished the song, added music to it, edited some of his lyrics. He called Wauwatosa in the song Wow Wow Toaster, which was really funny. (laughs) Um, And then added a chorus to it uh, on Wisconsin, on Wisconsin, calling me that way, on Wisconsin, on Wisconsin. I think I'm going to stay. So I added that, um, added music to it. Through a series of Hail Mary passes, it ended up on the the Dylan desk. And I do believe he checked it out uh, and granted me the uh, publishing rights with him. And that was one of the most crazy experiences of my life. I was at Whole Foods. And I got an email while I was scooping the couscous, dropped the <laughs> scooper and just like in sheer joy, ran around the grocery store multiple times buying anything I had ever wanted. It was such a, vict- <laughs> such a victory lap. I mean, it, it is really a surreal story. Like you can't write yeah. it better. I mean, try telling that to the kid that saw Bob Dylan when he was 17 at a baseball field in Madison, Wisconsin, that you're going to publish a song with that guy someday. And it's going to be about Wisconsin, weirdly enough. You know, you like, can't make that shit up. You cannot. So what a trip. What a trip. Yeah. What a long, strange trip it's been. Man. And all while you were scooping the couscous, which just, yep. you know, just gives it that extra... That's a song waiting to be written. Next album. <laughs> Maybe that's a song Next for album. you. <laughs> Scooping the couscous. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll we'll have a co-write with that. Yes, I am. I am. So I need some. I could use some street cred. So I'm, I'm <laughs> down with it. <laughs> well, awesome, man. So. Let's talk about what is next. So album's out, you're heading to Europe. Are you guys going to be hitting the road here in the States after you get back or what's, what's that looking yeah, like? So we will be doing an East coast tour. So yeah, we're really excited. I, I live for playing live. It's such a privilege to be able to mm-hmm. stand on a stage and tell your story where it's the best place for people to keep up with tour dates, with news, to buy merch. You got some place you can direct people to. Yeah, we have all sorts of merch. We also have garden seeds. I'm selling my own 
we have like tomatoes, sunflower, morning glory, carrots, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How did I not see these on your website? I don't well, know. I saw the They might not be there right now, but um, oh, okay. we'll be fully stocked again in a couple months. And those are nice. called Shep Seeds, and those are organic and GMO-free. Go to my website, trappershep.com. Uh, and you'll you'll find the stuff. And I'll put all the links too in the show notes so people can just scroll down the bottom of the episode and people can just click on it and get into that. So before we wrap, thought we should have a little bit of fun and we're going to play something called Trapper's Favorite Things. I didn't warn okay. you about this. So this is going to be fresh. So I'm going to say something and you just have to tell me what your favorite of that is. I'm so curious. Favorite. We're going to learn a lot about you. Cool. Pretty easy. All right. So what's your favorite movie? It would be a Coen Brothers movie. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I would say Fargo or Big Lebowski. I'm not going to choose between my two favorite children. All right. I'll, I'll let that. And I, I could see that some regional references there. What about oh, yeah. favorite book? Favorite book. That is tough. Let me think. You know what is a really good book? It's probably not my favorite book. My favorite book on songwriting, and I'm looking at it now, it's called Songwriters on Songwriting. And it's Ooh. just a book full of uh, songwriters like Randy Newman, Warren Zevon, Dylan, all talking about their process. So that's probably my favorite music book. Well, and you talked about writing from another perspective. I mean, who's better at that than Randy Newman? I mean, I know, you know yeah. use of a narrator, the guy was genius, genius at it. All right, uh, favorite TV show. You did make a Seinfeld reference in our chat, so. Well, let me just do favorite TV show right now. These are these are hard questions, man. These like, are. These are this hard is, questions. This is high level, so, and it's prime entertainment, too. Yeah. There's a really great show I just finished. It's like a total BBC old person British show that takes place in Cornwall, and uh, it's called Doc Martin. Have you heard of this show? I have heard of the boots, but not the show. All right. So favorite meal. My partner, Ella, is cooking a bunch of traditional Chinese food. She is doing a lot with all these different Szechuan peppers that make your, your tongue and lips kind of numb. And <laughs> Which is, I think, what Szechuan means. It means numb lips and tongue. Oh, cool. Right on. Well, she she's, she's making some magic happen in this kitchen yeah anything she's been cooking in that wheelhouse brian like is is some serious serious flavor town well i'm getting in the car after this it'll take me a bit i'm in central california but come on over all right so this one i want to know what your favorite animal is but i don't mean like lion or giraffe leroy come here i want a specific a specific animal like my dog's this... co- gonna come oh boston terrier leroy come here in the jungle the mighty jungle the lion sleeps tonight that is a great duet that there is you beautiful go. Is that the dog that's with you on Primetime Illusions? Uh, that is Ollie. He's another Boston Terrier. He's like the OG Boston in my life. But oh, Leroy nice. is the little fella here now with me. Come here, buddy. 
Next next album. I, I yeah. feel a duet coming on with Something. you guys. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I'd like to see that dog scoop the couscous. Um, <laughs> well, okay, here's the last one. This one, you're probably going to hate me for even asking. So I'm, I'm okay. I'm I could deal with, I could deal with the hate. Favorite album, man. Favorite album. House is on fire. You can only grab one album. Which one are you grabbing? This time out of mind box set just came out. The Bob Dylan album. Oh yeah. So right now I've been enjoying that album, but I do appreciate the gun to the head questions. Um, <laughs> Brian, cause that, that's something like I would always used to do with friends. They, yeah, they hated it, but here well, we are. I'm you, get to, you, you get to see a different side of people, you know what I mean? So it's totally. this is how you get to the real root of, of a person, man. Well, Trapper, it's been a blast. I, I can't thank you enough. I've really enjoyed chatting with you today and thank this you for your time. This has been fun. I've just had my coffee. So I'm talkative as you've, <laughs> as you've experienced. And then as the day wears on, if you would have caught me, Brian, like, at 4 p.m., I might have just been kind of like, you know, I might have actually been paddleboarding because the sun is out today and we just got to. Which would make it interesting. It could yeah. be a good conversation. I would do that. I would do that. If you ever want to do like a, a at sea interview, I will, I'll be your guy for that. I am I am down. Uh, we Let's rain check. We'll, we'll think of a good time for that. Yes, yes. And so. Are you, uh, any, I forgot to ask, are you any plans to come out to the West Coast again? You know, it's funny, we're like flying all over the world, but not on the West Coast. We'll try for sure um, to get over there this year. Uh, yeah. I don't know when. Cool. If you're anywhere within driving range, I'll definitely come out and, ooh, maybe I could introduce you again. Yeah, let's do that. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for, for your time again. I appreciate that. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And if you're new to the music of Trapper and his band, share this with others and get this new album. Swing by his website. Buy something. This is what, what makes it easier for indie artists to survive these days. So go out there and buy something. Jump out on the road. Keep up with what Trapper's doing and see if he's coming to your neck of the woods. Thank you all for listening. And keep your bags packed and join us on our next journey to the stage. And that is a wrap. Done. All right. <laughs>